it says I can never thank him enough, which we can, but it is I can never praise him enough. <laughs> I could never praise him enough for the cross of Calvary. I could never thank him enough for salvation full and free. I could never do anything to deserve such perfect love or for everything he's done. I could never praise him enough for men. Serve the Lord the best that I knew how, giving unto him my time, telling of his power. But if I were to spend unending hours on my knees, praising him for everything he's ever done for me, I could never praise him enough. For the cross of Calvary, I could never thank him enough. For salvation full and free, I could never do anything to deserve such perfect love. Woe for everything he's done, I could never praise him enough. A thousand tongues could never tell just what our Lord has done as if he hadn't done enough he sent his only son to hang upon a rugged cross and bear the load of sin that explains why I can't express love I have for him I could never praise him enough for the cross of Calvary, I could never thank him enough. For salvation full and free, I could never do anything to deserve such perfect love. Well, for everything he's done, I could never praise him enough. So I'll sing thanks. For saving my soul thank you Lord for making me whole I could never do anything to deserve such perfect love oh for everything he's done oh everything you've done oh everything he's done I could never pray Thank you, Don and Vicki. Praise God for that. Well, Thanksgiving week. I hope that you were surrounded with some family and friends and reminded 
of the grace that God has extended to each one of you. And I uh, want to just begin with a word of prayer, and we're going to get right into our story in Luke chapter 17 this morning. So let's bow our heads for prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, we just want to come before you and receive from you your grace and your mercy, and we want to do so with a heart filled with gratitude. And dear Lord Jesus, how easy it is to be pessimistic and to be disgruntled and to be anxious about the environment we might find ourselves in. And so I just pray, dear Lord, that you might pour out your spirit upon us so that we might truly experience optimistic gratitude. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. The Bible says, in the words of Jesus, come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon, upon, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Luke chapter 17 is an interesting story of 10 lepers. The Bible tells us in verse 11, the story begins that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, traveling between Samaria and Galilee, not far from his home in Nazareth. Nazareth. And as he was going into a certain village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance, and they cried in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Now, these men were not supposed to be in polite society. They were not supposed to be mixing with people. We don't know the exact village, but they conspired to leave their leprosy colony And certainly do what was unacceptable in those days. But you see, the news that they had been hearing was just too good to be true. And they couldn't avoid this opportunity. Have you heard? Why the man walks on water. He he feeds large crowds of people with a simple prayer. And best of all, he can heal the sick. You name it, he can heal it. And the word on the street was that he even raised the dead. And they felt like they were as good as dead, so why not try? So from a safe distance, these men, all in one accord, all together, cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy, take pity on us. You see, they were companions in their suffering. They were companions in their misery, in their anxiety, in their sickness. Now, I love healing stories in the Bible. 
And one of the things you find out when Jesus does a healing story is that every one of them is just a little different in the way he does his healing. Because Jesus doesn't want you to read the Bible and think if you just say this particular prayer or do this kind of con talk, concoction, somehow you're going to find healing from it. He, every healing is just a little different because the similarities of the healing is actually in the faith of the participant. That's really the similarity. And this time, instead of going up and, and touching a diseased person, Jesus just calls out to them and says, Go and show yourself to the priests. Now, if there's one thing they should not do, is with leprosy, go and show yourself to the priests. That's the one thing they shouldn't do, and it's the only thing he told them to do. Now, in verse 15 and 16, I like what, what it says. One of the, um, uh, oh, so the Bible tells them that it, they go off and they, they experience healing. It says, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And then it says, he was a Samaritan. Now, don't just miss this little point. Luke throws this in there in Luke 11. He was a Samaritan for a specific reason. You know, of course, that Jews and Samaritans have an ethnic separation. They don't gather together, eat together, commune together, fellowship together. But guess what? When you're stricken with tragedy and your heart is heavy and the disease is rampant, well, misery makes common brothers of all men. We may have different kinds of backgrounds, different kinds of educational standing, or even financial status, but dear family, when it comes to sickness and suffering, at our base, we humans, with loss and trials, all have a common denominator. And no one, no one in this room, no one watching, no one gets through this life without challenges and regrets and disappointments. I mean, these men had lives, they had families, they had dreams and hopes that had been crushed. These men had been told by others around them that they were cursed by God. Separate yourselves from common people. And they were exiled into this community. Yet it was this Samaritan, the most unlikely of them all, that came back and praised and thanked God for the miracle of his healing. Jesus answer, asks him a question then. Where we're not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he says to them, to this man, rise and go, your faith has made you well. There was a sense of connection between Jesus and the Samaritan. I find it beautiful that, that Jesus is looking for words of praise from those he heals. And dear family, if you have not been healed by Jesus, go to the master. Because when you are healed by the Lord, when you experience his touch of love, there is praise on your lips.
and thanksgiving in your heart. Not only did Jesus perform a miracle of healing, he opened a door of acceptance. He embraced this man with hope, which is quite possibly more valuable than the healing itself. Our scripture this morning, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues for all generations. So the title of our talk this morning is Optimistic Gratitude. Now the word optimistic is hopeful and confident about the future. And gratitude is being thankful and showing appreciation. So if you put those two together, optimistic gratitude is being able to look into your future with hope and with thanksgiving no matter what. You see, oftentimes the way the world understands gratitude is if something good has happened to me, then I'm thankful. If something good has blessed me, then I'm thankful. But in the gospel, dear family, come on now. In the gospel, we we have gratitude irregardless of the situation we may find ourselves in. We are optimistic about our future because we know who holds the future. And because of that, we have the ability to bless other people and give grace and kindness to them. We are blessed to live in a country where an actual day is set aside for Thanksgiving. Abraham Lincoln started that, established that in 1863. And gratitude is the foundation for actually health. You take a person who is an ingrate, has no gratitude, I'm telling you, that person is going to have health problems. Health and gratitude go hand in hand. And as children of the Most High God, we have an opportunity to be a grateful people, a praiseworthy people. You see, we choose gratefulness and gratitude, not because of our present situation, but because of the truth that resides in our heart that we believe that we know to be true. And our hearts are filled with hope as we share that hope with other people. I love the uh, Proverbs 23, 17, 19. It says, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. In other words, as you put your faith in the Lord, there is hope for you. Don't despair during times of sorrow, during times of anxiety, or when the enemy whispers in your ear, you're not worth it. The Bible then finishes in verse 19 by saying, listen, my son, and be wise, and let your heart on, set your heart on the right path. So here's the truth. As a Christian, because I share in a blessed hope, I have a hope to share with other people. Now that hope may not just be in a sermon about Jesus coming again, but it can be in some demonstrative way I can show value and kindness to someone who is hurting, who is exhausted from the pain and the sorrow this earth is 
pushing down upon them. When we go through difficult times, when we watch God carry us faithfully, it can allow us to encourage other people through that process. There's a story I found years ago that I've always liked, and I don't know exactly why, because I personally have very little experience in the people kind of what happens in this story, but I've always loved this story. It just speaks to my heart in such a, in such a beautiful way. It's a story about one of the oddest football games you'll ever hear of. Now, for me, I'm one of those guys, I, I don't mind, especially when I'm with a friend watching a football game, but I hate the time it takes to watch a football game. I hate the time it takes. So what I do is I turn off all radio, all television when a football game is playing. I don't want to hear about it. And then I go to YouTube and I watch the 10-minute version. And I find out if they won or lost, watching it for 10 minutes. I take 10 minutes of my time. I get the whole scoop of what happened in that football game. All the great moves are in that 10 minutes. And then I can go on with the rest of my day. I haven't wasted my time. And I've watched the game. So you can see how I value football, right? Just kind of keeping up on what's going on. But this is one of the oddest football games and it happened in Grapevine, Tennessee. Or excuse me, Texas. Grapevine, Texas. Now, Grapevine, Texas has a, a Christian school there, and it's called Grapevine Faith. And they were going to play against Gangsville State School. But this was the most strangest game that Gangsville had ever been to before. When Gangsville came to the field where Grapevine Faith played, they got off their bus and there was a huge banner and it was made by the opposing team and it said, Go Tornadoes for them. Oh, we come to a game and they've got a huge banner for us. And then as they came into the field, over 200 of the, of the faith's um, uh, fans made up a big, long line and, let the, and cheered the lions as they came through, cheering them onto the field. It was strange. It was stranger than that. In fact, as the game began, they noticed that the gangs-filled tornadoes were being cheered for by all these family members on the opposing on, on the opposing side. They would yell defense, hit them hard, all these things, and they couldn't understand what's going on. We have come to play against this team, the faith team, and they're cheering for us. The quarterback said, I never in my life thought I'd hear people cheering for us to hit their kids. I wouldn't expect another parent to tell somebody to hit their kids, but that's what they wanted us to do. And even though the, the Grapevine Faith School walloped them by 33 to 14... Gangsville was still able to make two touchdowns at the end. When the game was over, when the game, game was over, 12 uniform officers escorted 
the Gangsville players, two by two in handcuffs, back to the maximum security correctional facility, 75 miles north of Dallas. You see, this all started when the coach, Chris Hogan, wanted to do some, something kind to the Gainesville team. Faith had never played the Tornadoes before. But he already knew the score after that. I mean, Faith had a perfect score, and Gangsville had never won a game yet that season. 0-8. And, you know, Faith had a whole bunch of kids, several coaches, lots of brand new equipment. And the Tornadoes, well, they had seven-year-old shoulder pads and ancient helmets. And so the coach thought to himself, what if we cheer for them? What if we give them a game like they've never had in their life? And so that's what they did. They, the coach sent out an e- a letter to all the families saying, we're going to have this special game, and we're asking you to choose somebody in your family, go on to the other side, and cheer for the tornadoes. Some people were naturally confused. One faith player walked into Hogan's office and said, Coach, why are we doing this? And Hogan said, imagine if you didn't have a home life. Imagine if everybody had pretty much given up on you. Now imagine what it would mean for hundreds of people to believe in you and cheer for you. Next thing you know, the Gangsville Tornadoes were turning around on their bench to see something they'd never Seen before, hundreds of fans actually cheering for them. It was a strange experience for these boys who most people didn't even want to cross the street to be near them. We can tell people who are a little afraid of us when we come to the game, says Gerald, a lineman who wound up doing more than three years. You can see it in their eyes. They're looking at us like criminals. But these people, they were yelling for us, even knowing our names. After the game, both teams gathered in the middle of the field to pray, and that's when Isaiah surprised everyone by asking, Isaiah, one of the boys on the tornado team, can I pray? The coach remembers that he had no idea what the kid was going to say, but Isaiah said, Lord, I don't know how this happened, so I don't know how to say thank you, but I never would have known that there were so many people in the world that could care about us. And it was a good thing everybody's heads were bowed because they might have even seen Hogan wiping away tears. And as the tornadoes walked back to their bus under guard, they each were handed a Bible for the ride home, a burger, some fries, a soda, some candy, and a Bible, and an encouraging letter to each faith, from each faith player. The Gangsville coach saw Head coach Hogan grabbed him hard by the shoulders and said, you'll never know what your people did for these kids today. You'll never, ever know. And as the bus pulled away, all the Gangsville players crammed on one side and pressed their hands to the window, staring at the people they had never met before, watching their waves and smiles disappear into the night. You see, hope 
is in short supply in our world today. People often are way more concerned with their own wants, their own cars, their own house, their own kids, their own work. But when we put our hope in the Lord, when the Spirit descends down into our lives, our vision is opened. And our hope in the Lord becomes something we want to transmit to other people. When I did chaplaincy for almost 14 years in the city of Auburn, I remember sitting with those grieving parents who just lost their teenager to suicide. Or that, or that frantic wife who just received news from me that her husband was dead. And all hope is gone. And at that moment, the world has come to a crashing end. And everything has changed. All plans for the day collapses. And the only thing you can barely do is breathe. How do we as Christians respond when the world around us is breaking apart? Do we just smother ourselves with each other and go on our happy way? Or are we the hands? Are we the feet? Are we the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ? To offer hope in a broken world. In a concentration camp in Ravensburg, Germany, there's a graveyard of human life and longing. And an unknown prisoner wrote this prayer on a torn scrap of wrapping paper left by the body of a dead child. It was found, it was printed. And here's what it said. O oh Lord, remember not only the men and women of goodwill, but also remember those of ill will. But do not remember the suffering they have inflicted on us. Remember the fruits we have borne thanks to this suffering. Our comradeship, our loyalty, our humility, our courage, our generosity, and the greatness of heart, which has grown out of all of this. And when they come to judgment... Let all the fruits we have borne be their forgiveness. Is it possible to have gratitude in the midst of suffering? To see something hopeful in the future even when the present is crumbling out of control? The Apostle Paul makes it very clear in 1 Thessalonians 5. He says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How is it possible to give thanks in all circumstances and to rejoice always? Well, I call it optimistic gratitude. To look beyond the present into what the future has promised. Philip Yancey, I don't know if you've ever read a book by Philip Yancey, but it doesn't really matter what book it is, it's a good book. And he's quoted as saying, I have learned that faith means trusting in advance what will only make sense in reverse. Think about that. It only makes sense when I look in the past and I look in the future and I look back and I say, wow, I see how God has led us. Ellen White makes that statement, right? 
We have nothing to fear for the future except we shall forget the way the Lord has led us in the past. So what are these blessings our hearts can be calmed with today? Well, there are a few of them. First of all, we are a people that have received forgiveness because Christ shed his blood on Calvary's cross. And we are a people who have been covered with his righteousness because he offers his perfect life to you and I. Amen? Secondly, we are a people that though we live on this planet, I mean, we settle here, we have to live here, we build homes here, we have families and friends and go about our daily lives, but we realize that we are not yet truly home. Come on now. This world is much too cruel, much too unsettled, much too fragile. Our status as children of the living God is clearly laid out in Scripture. And it says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens of God's people and also members of God's household. And Philippians 3 tells us, But your citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there. Finally, the one who makes all the promises is the one who is coming back to take us home. So let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go and prepare a place for you. Let that settle in your heart. During the next crisis in your life, let that settle in your heart. I go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will return and take you to be with me. Because that's where I belong, family. I'm a foreigner here on earth. And the more time I spend with Jesus, the more time I feel it. I recognize it. I'm a foreigner here. My home is in heaven, and I eagerly await a Savior from there. And one of my biggest prayers in my life is, Lord, help me to see the non-consequential stuff that's going on around me. And then help me to see the consequential stuff that really matters that truly matters in the perspective of eternity. How is it that the Christian can have the superpower of optimistic gratitude? Because we know that we are not yet home, and the best is yet to come. And though it may get dark, and it may get dreary, and there may be terrible things ahead, I love the statement, it's the darkest, come on now, before the dawn it's the darkest before the dawn and one day the sky is going to open up one day the lord is coming the king of kings the lion of judah one day in great glory he will come with 10,000 times 10,000 of his angels and he will call us home and take us off this sinking ship Bible says, and at that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when they see these things to take place, they will stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption draweth nigh. We are forgiven. We are covered with his righteousness. We may be foreigners and strangers here on earth, but we have a citizenship with God's people and our citizenship is in heaven. And we are waiting with great anticipation the soon coming of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. 
I am so glad that we have a message of hope for the outcasts and the rejected. I'm so glad that God promises in his word that there's an adoption that anyone can be a part of. You don't have to be a Jew. You don't have to be a Gentile. You don't have to be rich. You don't have to be poor. All people can be adopted into the family of God. And that is so beautiful. John 1.12 said, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You know, we can't sugarcoat life on earth. There are trials. There are tribulations. There are sorrows. We will experience loss, disappointments, and unforeseen challenges. Yet, dear family, there is a God in heaven that wants to carry us and inspire us even in the darkest days with hope and a future. The Apostle Paul wrote, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may share in his glory. When you and I choose to live with optimistic gratitude... We can see even the trials as opportunities to grow in the Lord. The other night I was visiting with Trey last night. And, you know, it's interesting how he went through that first early stage of frustration and disappointment and wanting to get out quickly. And then he realized it's going to be extended. And now he says, how he's being blessed by his time in the word, growing in Christ. And he, he just senses that eagerness. And oh, he sends a message to all of you how excited he is to be able to come back and be a part of the church family. Paul would say, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance produces character and character hope and hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. So dear family, what is Pastor Jay's message to you today? Hold on to Christ. You and I, we don't know what's around the corner. We don't know the challenge that we're going to face tomorrow. I believe this world is a sinking ship and a turbulent storm. And our lifeboat is and always will be Jesus Christ. I don't know what the trials will come in my way or in your way, but I do know that as we hold on to Christ and we make him our first love and we make him our single Lord, we will allow Jesus to carry us so that we can experience. Now get this, we can experience, not in head, but in heart. We can experience his peace and his love and his assurance and his hope. And so it was Paul the Apostle who in prison wrote to you and I, let the peace of Christ reign in your hearts, such as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful.
full. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. So I want to end with this warm invitation of Jesus that I began with. Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Hallelujah. Praise God. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. May our lives, dear family, be filled with optimistic gratitude as we watch the hand and the heart of Jesus carry us each and every day. Amen. Optimistic gratitude. Please stand. Our song is Because He Lives. Thank you.
us that we would live our lives without tears and disappointments. You never promised that life would just be a smooth track every day. But Jesus, you always promised that you would never leave us or forsake us, that you would be with us in the storms, and that ultimately you would deliver us for eternity. And so, dear Lord Jesus, may we place our lives fully in your hands. May we be able to live our lives with optimistic gratitude, knowing that you hold the future, and we give you praise. We love you, Jesus. In your precious name we pray. And now may the love of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.